Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah audio podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. To find out more information about Life Church, please check us out at lifechurchutah.com. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can do so by going to our website or by texting the word LCGIVE to 95577. We're going to be talking about heroes over the next uh, next couple of weeks here in the month of January, and uh, I am um, uh, cannot wait to see what God does through this time that we have together. Uh, however, before we start, I, I would like to um, to pray for a family. Um, I don't know how many of you heard, but there was a, a Provo police officer that was shot and killed uh, last night, and I think it'd be great if we prayed uh, for that family, and uh, certainly uh, my, my brother used to be a police officer, and so whenever things like this happen, uh, my, my heart goes out to those families knowing, uh, knowing exactly what they're walking through and uh, the difficulties of, uh, of facing something like this. And obviously the, the police is a, you know, kind of a strong, um, strong uh, brother and sisterhood and they stick together. And we just need to uh, lift up this family and uh, really all of those who were involved in this uh, tragedy uh, last night. So God, uh, we lift up uh, this family whose uh, husband, whose father has uh, been taken uh, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would comfort them, show your grace uh, in their lives. Lord, I don't know the condition of his soul. I don't know the family. And, uh, but Lord, I, I pray that through this, somehow you would bring people alongside of them uh, to help them, Lord, as they wrestle uh, with some of these, uh, just kind of the meaningless violence and the difficult uh, situation that they find themselves in. And God, through all of these, uh, all these moments like this that happen far too often uh, for those who are in the, in the military, those that are uh, in law enforcement, our, um, our fire departments, God, all of those folks who sacrifice, who give themselves uh, for our safety. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them uh, this day. Show your grace. And Lord, upon this congregation, those who serve our community in this way, I ask, Lord, for a, bl- a special blessing upon them on this day. Lord, we give you the glory, all the honor, and Lord, thank you for the heroes among us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So heroes, we love uh, stories of heroes. Uh, we love uh, kind of the stories of courage and sacrifice and that stuff that just makes us feel good about ourselves and at times uh, makes us feel good about humanity around us. As I was looking at uh, trying to figure out, you know, who can we bring out who are the heroes of, uh, you know, of our time? And you can look back and if you go online and you search, you know, heroes of the day or heroes of all time. And I mean, there are thousands upon thousands of people that might be listed on those. So I just wanted to just pick a handful of uh, folks that would be heroes to, uh, to some of us for sure. Uh, first one here is uh, I think we're very familiar with is Abraham Lincoln. And uh, oftentimes when, uh, when people uh, say who's the greatest president of all time, he definitely shows up on that list over and over and over again. Uh, he was uh, hugely instrumental within our nation in an extremely difficult time and is really a hero for so many people, had a strong faith and uh, really wanted to see God do something with the, within this nation to bring unity. And it was just beautiful to see how God used him in that moment. Now, another, another hero, a little more obscure, uh, but uh, this is Roberto Clemente and uh, Cuban-American and uh, played, uh, played baseball, as you can see there, for the Pirates, and was the first Latino inducted into the, uh, to the hall of, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. And for many folks, 
uh, he is a hero of sorts to them, not only for what he did on the field, but off the field as well. He brought attention uh, to poverty, finding out ways to be creative in, uh, in really reaching those who are less fortunate. And uh, really, um, uh, he died in a, tragically in a plane crash uh, well before his prime and uh, really is a hero to many, many folks. Another one is, uh, I think we're very familiar with as well, Martin Luther King Jr., um, obviously, during the uh, civil rights uh, era in the 60s, hugely influential in uh, bringing uh, racial reconciliation to our nation, bringing things to light uh, that our nation wasn't wanting to deal with. And even to this day, his words, uh, his actions uh, speak so loudly and is definitely a hero to so many people. And then jumping all the way back to the Civil War, uh, somebody like Harriet Tubman, who herself is a, uh, um, was an escaped slave, uh, brought a lot of attention to, uh, to the slavery within our, uh, our nation uh, during the Civil War, was an abolitionist uh, fighting for her brothers and sisters and fighting for their rights. And you look at folks like this who gave everything that they had, and that, to me, is what a hero is, right? That, to me, is something you look and they go, had so much courage, and they had a, a bigger view of their lives and said, okay, this is how I'm going to use my life. I'm going to spend it on others and giving of myself. Well, in today's world, uh, heroes have become a little bit different. And for those who are under the age of about 20 or so, uh, these might be your heroes. For parents who don't know, this is Fortnite. <laughs> Right? And they are called heroes. And so you pick up, you know, uh, in this thing, and it's kind of that, uh, um, I can't remember exactly what they call that right now. The name is escaping me. But in, uh, in Fortnite Battle Royale, there we go. Uh, Battle Royale, and that's not that I played it before. And so, uh, so you pick a hero, and you get the opportunity uh, to just go and be the last one standing. And these are the heroes for today's youth. And that's pretty sad. <laughs> hero for me, I mean, this is a genuine hero for me. Uh, whoever it was that signed the paper to bring back the Ford Bronco in 2020, that is my hero. That is my hero. What about political figures? <laughs> A little more difficult. Sometimes hip-hop stars become heroes to a young generation. Sometimes it's YouTubers doing weird things on YouTube, and they become heroes. But to me, the heroic is the unusual. It's not this normalcy. It's not just this benign kind of uh, normal existence. So the hero to me is something much more than this. To be heroic is to be other than normal. In our culture today, especially the movies, uh, heroes bring a lot of money. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with a very small uh, franchise called the Marvel Cinematic Universe heard of them, right? And uh, I mean, just a, okay, how many of you have seen a Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, movie? Raise your hand real quick. Yes, yes, yes. I'm right with you. I've seen every one of them, right? And uh, these have become heroes. How do I know that? Because this amount right here, they're going to throw up here, 16052245515 dollars in the last 10 years, that's how much has been poured into the Marvel Cinematic Universe by us, right? Speaking to a new generation of heroes who are fake, right? Now, the last I checked, Tony Stark is not real, right? 
and uh, every one of these. And so we look to them and we enjoy, we go to the movies and we escape for a while and we look to heroes. And I think what might be appealing about these heroes is they are completely average and normal outside of the suit that they put on. I mean, Tony Stark, he's a jerk, right? <laughs> every, other, every other point, he's a jerk until he puts on that, uh, the, the Iron Man outfit and something happens. He becomes altruistic and he becomes powerful and strong and fights against the enemies. We often miss the heroes because they are so average and normal. Uh, we miss the Clark Kents, who actually are Superman. We miss uh, Carol Danvers, who is Captain Marvel coming out in March. Very excited about that. Um, <laughs> right? But you wouldn't know them. You'd skip by them because when you walk by them on the street, they seem so normal and so average. So I'm a fan of the movies. I'm a fan of, of finding these heroes that we celebrate on the big screen. I, you know, it's, it's enjoyable to do that, but there is so much more to be heroic than that. And so sitting here in the seats of Life Church Utah, sitting in the seats at Life Church Twilla right now as their service is going on, uh, sitting in these seats right after this service uh, for Iglesia Vida, those who are watching online at Facebook right now, um, here's what I want you to do. Can you turn to your neighbor right now and just say, you are so normal, but you are a hero, <laughs> right? I heard somebody that first service, they turned to their husband and said, you are not normal. <laughs> That's what they said to begin with. <laughs> So I believe that every one of us who are completely average and normal, that God wants to do something within us to create within us a hero. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of what does it take to be a hero, to go from zero to hero. What does it take? And so this week, we're going to be talking about faith, and I'll mention a lot more about that here in the rest of the service. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, what does it mean to be a hero when no one is looking? When no one is around, are you still a hero? And then the following week, we're going to be uh, talk, finding out what it takes to be a hero in generosity. Now, as soon as I say the word generosity, what do you think of? Money, right? He's, pastor's going to be talking about finances. Yes, I am. And we're also going to be talking about a whole lot more because generosity is not just about finances. It's about every part of our life. And so we're going to be talking about what it takes to be a hero in our generosity. And then we're going to finish out the month in what it takes to be a hero in serving. Because unless we give of ourselves, we're not heroic. And so what I want to do is uh, also be challenging you throughout this month, and especially as we get to the very end of the month, uh, we're going to find opportunities to serve right here in Life Church Utah. We're going to find opportunities to serve in our community center, uh, find opportunities to reach out uh, outside of the walls of the church in ways that we can be a blessing to the world around us by serving and giving of ourselves. So make sure over the next four weeks, or next three weeks now, invite your friends, your family members, those people you love, people you really don't love. Make sure that they are here because they need to hear everything about how to be a hero. And so this week, we're talking about faith. What does it take to be a hero of faith? I want to start with a verse, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 6. This becomes our foundation uh, really for, for this series and then uh, for today especially. Now, the guy who's writing this, or the author of uh, the book of Hebrews, he's, he's kind of going through in Hebrews chapter 11, a whole series of heroes. 
And he begins to name them. He's talking about Noah and Abraham and Moses and, and Samson. And, and uh, there's a bunch of unnamed women that are in there who are heroes of the faith. And it's like his pen can't write fast enough as he's writing all of this down. But he gets to this point in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and he says this. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is our starting point. We must have faith if we are going to be pleasing to God. So what does this faith look like? Well, just a little bit earlier, uh, the author defines it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So this idea that, I mean, faith is absolutely foundational to our belief in who God is and the fact that he is active today in our lives. When we read this, we feel like faith can be elusive like something we can't achieve. And I look at Moses, I look at Abraham, I look at uh, Noah, I look at these other you know, men and women of God, and I see their stories played out in the Bible, and sometimes I get frustrated. Because I look at them and I go, I am not that. I have not arrived at that point. I, I, I'm not capable of doing what they've done. And so sometimes it feels like that that is absolutely unattainable, and I've got no way to do it. They're larger than life. So what do I do? Well, let me tell you about a story, and I'll give you the hero's version of the story that we're going to talk about today. So there's this guy in the Old Testament who may help us discover how to be a hero of faith, one who makes a huge impact on his nation. So here's the story of this hero. God pinpoints, I need like, I need like music in the background, good Marvel cinematic theater uh, music there. God pinpoints a man of God who rises up from obscurity to take leadership in the nation and through a series of events and a conflict where he and his army are severely outnumbered, he frees the nation of Israel and is celebrated as a hero. This is the hero story. And that seems so unattainable for us because we are completely average. Well, a little bit of background on the story. Israel is captured. They're in their land, but another nation more powerful than them is over them. They're the Midianites. And the Midianites are a pretty ruthless uh, group of individuals, and they're making life miserable for the Israelites. Israelites are fearful. They've been conquered. And in this fear, they are struggling for their very existence. They're crying out to God in fear. They're longing for, for rescue and perhaps... They are longing for a hero. And among the people of Israel is this guy by the name of Gideon. Now, Gideon, just like the rest of the nation of Israel, is afraid. Have you ever been afraid before? Uh, I remember years ago, um, a time in my life, I watched a movie that scared me. It was a movie I was like 13 years old, and somehow I watched Coma. Anybody seen the movie Coma? back in the 70s. Don't. <laughs> but I remember, I mean, I was so afraid. It's one of those at night after watching it, you pull up the covers, and if your toe's hanging out, the, the monster's going to get you kind of thing. That's how it was for me, and fear had just so overtaken me, and that to me is kind of the mindset of the nation of Israel. And Gideon was thoroughly average, thoroughly afraid, and we find this story unfold for us in Judges chapter 6 and 7. 
Now, just to show how afraid Gideon was, um, Gideon was a farmer, lived by agriculture, as many of the folks of Israel did at that time. And he was out threshing wheat. Any, anybody here ever threshed wheat before? Oh, wow, awesome. That's exciting. I never have threshed wheat in my life. But here's what I understand. Uh, threshing wheat, certain, certainly back in the time of Israel, uh, they would thresh the wheat in a place similar to this. Uh, this is a threshing floor. And uh, this is not from, from exactly that era, but it's very similar to what they would use. Notice that it's in a hilly area on top of a ridge. And that is so that the, when the wind blows and uh, inside that area, um, inside those big circles, the piles of, of wheat and chaff would be there. And then they would have the, um, the animals would kind of walk over it and that would kind of break it apart. And then somebody would be there with pitchforks and they would throw it up into the air. And then the wind would carry away the chaff which was the lighter, and then the good seed would fall back to the ground, which they would then, over time, scoop that up and put it off to the side and then put the next harvest on there and keep doing it that way. So that was the threshing of the wheat, uh, very, very rudely and simply explained. And they would do it out there because the wind would do most of the work. They would just have to throw it up there time and time again. The wind would do the work. However, Gideon was doing all of the work of threshing the wheat in a place like this. This is a wine press. It's about six feet wide and about four or five feet deep. And uh, the Bible says that this is where Gideon was doing the wheat threshing. He was afraid, and so it made his life so much harder. And I found this to be the case in my life. When I am fearful, uh, life gets so much more difficult. No longer can I see the big picture. I start getting really focused on what's at hand right in front of me. And so time and time again, Gideon's in there trying to thresh this wheat out of fear, and he's in a place of real difficulty. Limited space, confined abilities, fear does this to us. So Gideon is there threshing wheat in the worst possible place so his oppressors won't take, uh, take all the harvest, and then something unexpected happens angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. And I would think in that moment, the angel of the Lord, recognizing the fearfulness of, uh, of Gideon, might try to say something to him to uh, kind of wake him up a little bit. Hey, stop doing that. You're better than this. But listen to what, um, what the angel says. And this is our first principle for those who want to be a hero of faith. The hero of faith sees themselves as God sees them. The hero of faith sees themselves as God sees them. So remember, Gideon is fearfully threshing the harvest in the worst possible place, fear-based existence, and the angel of the Lord comes and says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I see Gideon threshing there going, who are you talking to? <laughs> I'm afraid, deathly afraid, thus the reason, Lord, I'm sitting here in a wine press trying to do all of this work and making it so difficult. And God says, no, 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 no. Hey, you, mighty man of valor, God sees something in Gideon that he does not see in himself. And I believe God sees the same thing in you. I think God would say to you in the midst of the fear that you are living in, God would say uh, to you, hello, mighty woman of God. Hello, mighty man of God, filled with valor. That's how God would address us because he sees us differently. So Gideon in that moment responds to God, say, hey, where have you been? If this is all true and all the stories we heard are true, we wouldn't be in this situation. We would not be oppressed. And I love how God responds to that. Have you ever accused God? 
You ever told God something that he's done in your life? Say, how could you let this happen to me? Here's what God says even after that. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. I will be with you. This reminds me of our Christmas story we just went through for, uh, for Advent, right? And that over and over and over again, we hear that phrase, God will be with you. Even in your fear, even in your insecurity, even in difficult circumstances of your life, God will be with you. Now, the next part of this, we begin to realize that fear stayed a part of Gideon's life. Right? See, but isn't God going to get rid of all of my fears? But here's what the hero of faith does. The hero of faith isn't limited by fear. It's not that fearful situations won't come up. I mean, I, I've been a Christian for about 30-something years now. Say, we'll say 30-something. 30 30-something uh, years now I've been a Christian, and there are times when fear still crops up. There are times when I'm still, still fearful of decisions that I feel like I can't make. I'm still fearful of, of situations beyond my control. At times, still fearful for my children. Fearful for, we have that fear in our lives, but the hero of faith is not limited by that fear. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read through a, a number of scriptures uh, here from, uh, from Gideon's life and listen to this interplay that happens between the angel of the Lord, or God, and Gideon. And listen to the things that are being stated back and forth and listen to the circumstances and do you hear fear in some of the things that are going on. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, or something like that, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Fear. Judges 6, 13. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Fear. Judges 6.15, he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Fear. Judges 6.27, so Gideon took men, uh, took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it at night. Fear. Chapter 7, verse 3, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the 32,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. Fear. Fear was part of the equation of Gideon's life. It was part of what the whole culture had embraced. And God was attempting to help Gideon realize that fear is not where he needed to stay. So I wanted to read these stories without context, but within these two chapters to drive home the point, fear was in the vocabulary and the decisions of Gideon all the way through this story. It wasn't that he was without fear. It was that fear did not control ultimately, Gideon's decisions. Because, we'll get to this, the story has victory at the end of it, because fear didn't control him. I was reminded of a, of a story, uh, many of you know Natasha Hansen, she works in the Community Life Center here at Life Church, and uh, she told me a story just the other day. Uh, parents, this I, I think you'll recognize this, uh, you go to a fast food place, and she happened to be at Chick-fil-A, and they have a kid's playground. It's like when you're driving by as a parent, it's like heaven opens up, 
and the uh, you know, angels shine down like, yes, my kids will have a place to go, and I can eat my Chick-fil-A in complete silence. It's going to be beautiful. And uh, so he, she released her son, James, and uh, he went in there and played for a while. And when, she, when uh, Natasha and her husband, Mike, are ready to leave, uh, they go to find James. And James at the very top of the Chick-fil-A play area. And she calmly says, hey, James, it's time to go. Why don't you come on down? What did James respond? No. Are you kidding me? No way. Not a chance. He didn't say that exactly, but he said no. And so at that point, go, come on down. It's time to leave like that. No again. And so what does Natasha have to do? Putting aside all of her fear of germs and who knows what else in the play area. She, and that she told me, she said, I was deathly afraid of the germs that were in that place. She climbs up to the top of that, not worrying. I mean, thinking about the parents, right? Um, what, what, what's this lady doing climbing up to the top? What's happening there? And many of the parents are probably going, thank God it's you and not me, right? And uh, so she gets up to the top, gently pushes her son down the, uh, down the slide, and then she begins to make her way back down there. But there's that, that fear associated, right, in those moments. I remember a time I was uh, a little bit fearful. I went to Sam's Club, and uh, as a good dad did, I forgot I had my son with me. And um, I was uh, looking at tires or something like that, and my son was right with me in that moment. And I look around, and, and uh, I had been in the tire area for a little while, have no idea how long, and I look down, and my son is not with me. So then I realized he was supposed to be with me, and fear set in. Fear of losing my son, more fear of having to face my wife when I lost my son. And, uh, and so I, meet, I go and find the manager, and I just say, hey, I cannot find my son. And it was amazing. I mean, within seconds, that building was locked down, and they had a protocol to go through, and they started walking all the aisles, and they eventually found my son in the book aisle reading a book, uh, a Batman book, <laughs> right? He was reading a Batman book. I forget how old he was, probably four years old or something like that, picking up, looking at the pictures. Like, oh, that is so good, but fear sets in in that panic moment. Fear is kind of like kryptonite, isn't it? It finds our weaknesses and feeds on it. Uh, Superman, that was his thing, wasn't it? Uh, kryptonite. And, and like this one, the robot shows the kryptonite heart. And all of a sudden, Superman, who was so strong before, is all of a sudden fearful because kryptonite has that power over him. And so for many of us, there's kryptonite in our lives, and that fear cripples us. It takes us to a place that controls us. But the hero of faith is the one that isn't limited by that fear is so real in our lives. And so then this next, the next two go hand in hand and kind of, kind of leapfrog off of fear. And the next one is, is as uh, Gideon is kind of wrestling with all of these things that are happening in his life, the hero of faith trusts in what God has said. Now, in order for me to get this point across, I've, I've got to just read parts of the story, not the entire story, so that I can get to it at the very end because there's an incredible finish to this when we find the true hero that Gideon is. So trust is a powerful thing. One of those, those, uh, those attributes that you can work on for your entire life, you can gain the trust of everybody, and then in a moment, in an instant, that trust is broken. Parents, you've been through this before, perhaps. Son or daughter is uh, going out with friends. You trust them, and they're, you know, they're going to do great things for the Lord. And trust them, you say, all right, uh, your curfew is going to be 10 p.m. I want you in the home at 10 p.m., not in the driveway, not on the street, 
not in the same city. I want you in the home at 10 p.m. And uh, they don't show up at 10 p.m. They show up at, say, 10.15. What happens to trust? Broken trust. What happens to curfew? Now your curfew is 2 p.m. <laughs> All right? Can you change that curfew? Maybe it's 9 p.m. And then broken trust. You, you work on that, and pretty soon you're like, nope, you're never leaving this house again. Right? And you have all that. You break that trust, and you have to rebuild that trust. So the hero of faith trusts in what God has said. So listen to this, uh, this, these things that God is asking of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, and this is right after that initial con contact, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that it, your father has, cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Real quick, Asherah and Baal, those are two different gods in the Old Testament that were worshipped. They were foreign gods. They were not part of Israel's faith. And yet somehow they made their way into the nation of Israel and then made their way into Gideon's own household through his father. And God says, I want you to take care of these gods. I want you to tear down these altars as the very first thing Gideon is supposed to do. I read this part of it earlier. It said that he did this, but he did it at night because he was afraid. After this, the Midianites are incensed because these gods are their gods, and they gather an army. Gideon also responds and says, you know, all of Israel, come to me. And 32,000 people respond and say, yes, we are ready to fight for Israel. And Gideon looks around and says, this is good. <laughs> I've got myself a great army. We already read part of the story. This army of 32,000, according to God, was too big. Really, God? <laughs> is an army too big? I would like to have a bigger army than what I've got. So fear captured 22,000 of them. They went home. 10,000 remain. How is that for morale? And then God says this to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, the people or the army are still too many. I can see Gideon looking, no, they're not too many, God. What are you doing? He says, take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. Any of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. Gideon's have a, having a crisis of trust, perhaps, in this moment. God, do I really trust what you're saying? And in Judges chapter 7, verse 9, this is right toward the very end. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hands. But if you are too afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they have to say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. So there's Gideon facing an incredible battle with an army much smaller than he thinks he should have. And God says, hey, I want you to go down to camp and hear what they're talking about. You see over and over and over again is this flawed hero of faith. In this moment, he trusted God. Now, how do we know that he trusted God? It's one thing just to say, hey, I trust God. But here's what the hero of faith does after trusting God. The hero of faith has a faith in action. Your faith has a faith in action. So remember the second whittling down of the army from, from 32,000 down to 10,000, those 22,000 leave. The second one, um, God is speaking to Gideon saying, hey, it's, the 10,000 is still too big, so I'm going to make it even smaller. And so he tells them, he tells the army to go down to the water, and God says, I'm going to separate them. So God separates them by two different kinds of people. You ready for this? It's pretty simple. 
the first person, or the first kind of person that God says is not the one that they want is the person that goes to the edge of the lake or the edge of the river and gets down on all fours and lays down and just kind of puts their head in the water, right? That's the first group of people. The second group of people is this kind of person. Gets down on the edge, kneels down, puts their hands in the water, lifts it up all the while looking around all the while trying to find out where the enemy is, all the while being absolutely certain of their surroundings. And God says, these are the people that I want in your army. How many is that? 300 people. From 32,000 down to 300, and God says, well, this is what he says. In Judges chapter 7, verse 6, the Lord said to Gideon, with the, with the 300 men who lapped, they lapped the water, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. From 32,000 down to three. God, I trust you. <laughs> you ever questioned that in that moment, right? God, I trust you. So it says that he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, all the, those, those remaining 9,700, but retained the 300 men when the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And then Gideon, who was maybe a strategist at this time, he divides the remaining 300 into groups, and there are three groups. And so Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch that they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and the right hand the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the 300 men were victorious over the entire army of the Midianites. It's an incredible story, an incredible heroic story. I'm going to invite our worship team up here as we uh, close out here. And they freed the land of Israel for many, many years. The land of Israel lived at peace. But I want you to remember where this started. This started in a place of fear from a guy was fearful, doing incredibly hard work in a place that shouldn't have been that difficult to do work, all centered around the fact that this was not a man of faith. He was an average guy, broken, hurting, had all sorts of struggles and problems in his life, and yet it started when God saw something in him that Gideon did not see in himself. I think that's where some of us are today. Right? So some of us are in that position where we see ourselves in a way where God would say, I want to see you differently. Maybe your friends are the voices that you hear when they tell you that you're a failure. Maybe family members have, have poured that into you over and over again. Maybe there's, there's fear based on who you have become because of things that happened in your childhood. Maybe there is that stuff where somebody says to you, you are not worth it. But I believe that God has something to say about that. I believe God sees you differently. I think even among us here in the, in the family of God here at Life Church Utah, we have some incredible heroes. I think of uh, Charlie Hall. Um, who leads our men's ministry, been a part of the church for a while, and uh, facing some really difficult uphill battles in his uh, physical body. And yet through all of this, what I see is a, is a man who sees himself as God sees him, who has an incredible faith in the middle of this battle to say, God, I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to take you at your word, and God, I am believing for healing in my body. Think of Lisa Sykes, who we um, kind of shared her story back a number of weeks ago. I think it was in, in November. Had double lung transplant after, after abusing her lungs through dr- drug abuse. And yet um, she is now healthy. Uh, God is working in her life. And really it stemmed from her being a hero of faith, trusting God for her life. Think of uh, kind of a son of the family here, uh, Alfred Murillo who has an incredible influence in the Salt Lake Valley and, and a beautiful man of God who is uh, being able to, to share the gospel of Christ with those who are so much less fortunate than himself. And it goes to our young people as well. Uh, there's a young teen um, who's a part of our ministry uh, here. Um, her name is Paloma. And I was talking to Paloma the other day, and uh, she's, I think, 15 or 16. I think she's 15. And uh, every day after school, uh, she rides a bus for 45 minutes to get here so that she can be part of the uh, community life center so that she can be a blessing to the young kids that come to the after-school program. That, to me, is a hero. That, to me, is somebody who looks in the face of fear, looks in the face of everything that she, um, that she desires and says, God, I want to make a difference in this world. And that's a 15-year-old girl named Paloma who goes here, who's changing the world through her faith. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. So the question for us today is, where are you in this hero's journey? Where, where are you in this hero's journey? I'm going to invite you to, close, uh, to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at Life Church Utah dot com.